In the days of Jesus, it's probably more accurate to speak of Judaisms, plural, than Judaism, singular. For there are many forms or strands or schools of Judaism. They all have that interesting blend of the social, the political, the ethnic, and the religious. And they had shared core beliefs, like there being one God created everything and who had chosen a people to be his own special possession for a special mission. But from there, things diverged. We're most familiar with two of those strands, Pharisees and Sadducees. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Pharisees believed in sort of an energetic collaboration with God to bring about the kingdom. Maybe even action to prompt God to act, to set things right, to do what he promised he would do. And that action was also intended to protect faithful Jews from the dangerous Gentiles and from errant false Jews who would bring in, smuggle in something that shouldn't be there. A good example of a Pharisee is, of course, the zealous Saul before he became Paul, who persecuted Christians, who at that time would have been understood as one of those strands within Judaism, but a dangerous one that needed to be eradicated. The Pharisees would have been at home with our gospel, believing that it's necessary in this life to suffer and to sacrifice, even at great personal cost, losing limbs, even shedding one's own blood. They would have understood this as necessary in the present life for the sake of the future life, but notice the continuity. They didn't believe that next life would be something like being disembodied spirits like angels, and there was a continuity in the human person. They would have been at home with the gospel right up until Jesus identified the loyalty due to God with the loyalty due to him. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, what would be better for that person if a millstone was wrapped around his neck and he was thrown into the sea? If your hand causes you to sin, if something gets in the way of being loyal to me, cut it off. They would have been good up to that point, of course, for God, but what is Jesus saying? That same loyalty to God should be shown to me. And the Pharisees understood that and were not happy, to say the least. The other group, the Sadducees, were those who would try to trick Jesus from time to time. Think of their hypothetical question about marriage and the resurrection. Remember that? The law of Moses said that if a man marries a woman and they have no children and he dies, then his brother should raise up children for him. And they said, well, there were seven brothers, Jesus. Remember that story? First one married, died, no children. Second, no children, died. All the way to the last one. In the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be anyhow? Remember that? They did not believe in the resurrection. It's easy to remember that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So what were they? They were sad, you see. (laughs) 
The most plausible explanation for no belief in the resurrection, for their disbelief, was that they were wealthy elites. They were part of the aristocracy, so they were concerned about keeping their place in society and keeping their wealth. They wanted to keep calm, to keep order. Focus on this life and doing well here. You can have a slice of the pie, just don't provoke the Romans. Don't do anything to overturn our standing. They would have not been happy with revolutionaries talking about a world other than this one, which you should be willing to suffer for. They would not have been happy with the Messiah who would disrupt the current order. It certainly reminds me of our society and certain of our elite in entertainment, politics, universities. Focus on this world. Religion gets in the way. That's where the conflicts come from. Everybody can have a slice of the pie. Draw these strands together, and it looks like our gospel and our second reading are about hope. A hope which extends beyond this life and is given to those who remember Jesus, who are loyal to him even at great personal cost. Believing that God will be faithful to his promises and remember them for all eternity. It suggests that the fulfillment of who we are extends beyond the confines of this world. This comes out in a marvelous way in our antiphons. As you know, every Mass has specific antiphons for it at entrance, offertory, and communion. The antiphons emerge from typically a psalm or a canticle. And the canticles and the psalms were associated in antiquity with these substantial processions. So what I have in mind is what we did in Rome during Lent. Every day was a different day that we had mass at a church out in Rome. And so the community would journey, process together out to these places. Now we would pray the rosary together and talk as we went along. Before these substantial processions in antiquity, psalms were sung or canticles were sung, from which were gleaned antiphons that pointed to that psalm. Unfortunately, as the processions decreased, diminished, grew shorter, all we have left is a sentence here or there, which is a radical impoverishment of what they're about. Think of Psalm, excuse me, think of Jesus' cry on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Remember that. It sounds like a cry of desperation and despair, does it not? And it was, but Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, which begins that way, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with this extraordinary triumph of God, of God vindicating the servant who is faithful to him. If you leave it only at my God, my God, you miss the much deeper meaning. Listen to what is pointed at through the antiphon for our communion psalm today. Remember your word to your servant. You already hear echoes. Remember your word to your servant by which you made me hope. This is my comfort and sorrow that your promise gives me life. Though the proud may utterly deride me, I do not turn from your law. When I remember your judgments of old, these, O Lord, console me. I am seized with indignation at the wicked who forsake your law. 
Your statutes have become my song wherever I dwell. I remember your name in the nighttime and I keep your law. This has been my lot for I have kept your precepts. Now look what is being pointed to here. The Psalms are chosen for specific parts of the mass to accompany uh, specific readings. What is being said, remember your word to your servant. And what are you engaged in? You're coming forward at communion, engaged in this great act of remembrance. Do this in memory of me. And you are saying, Lord, I'm being faithful to you. I am trying to remember your precepts to be faithful to your commands by being here. Remember me when I closed my eyes for the last time. Don't let me fade from your memories as I walk through the dark valley of the shadow of death, but remember me for all time because I am remembering you here. Do you see it? Listen to the offertory psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept, remembering Sion. On the poplars that grew there, we hung up our harps. For it was there that they asked us our captors for songs, our oppressors for joy. Sing to us, they said, one of Sion's songs. Oh, how could we sing the song of the Lord on foreign soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Or let my tongue cleave to my palate if I remember you not. If I prize not Jerusalem as the first of my joys. What is happening in that psalm? What's being alluded to? What has happened to the Israelites? They've been taken captive away from Jerusalem, from that special meeting place between God and man. And their captors are saying, sing for us one of those happy songs that you sang when you were with God in Jerusalem. They said, how can we do that when we're separated from him? Now, captivity, exile, became understood even before Jesus' day to be the result of wicked deeds, of sin, and to ultimately represent this exile from God, of being held captive to Him. And deliverance from exile, deliverance from captivity, was ultimately understood as deliverance from death and given life in the resurrection. This is happening during the offertory when your gifts should be brought forward, right? Bread, water, wine, and funds that you've deposited in that basket. You are cutting off certain parts of you. You are saying, I will do without this. I will endure some inconvenience. I will sacrifice in some way because I desire that I be reunited with you and be brought out of captivity. The gifts that you are giving are representative of your efforts to be joined with Him and finally reach that eternal Jerusalem. That's the gist of what I say to you. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. What I'm saying there is load up all that you have done during the week and join in this sacrifice, asking that God would finally draw us away from being captive in this life to mortality, yes, and to evil. And then notice how this psalm ends. We never hear the end of it because of its intensity and of being misunderstood. Remember, O Lord, against the children of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, when they said, tear it down, tear it down to its foundations. 
don't forget about us in the midst of evil. And then here's the intense part. O daughter Babylon, destroyer, blessed whoever repays you, the payment you paid to us. Blessed whoever grasps and shatters your children on the rock. It's no wonder we never hear that, right? But what is Babylon? Babylon's the evil empire. It symbolizes evil itself. What's the children, the offspring of evil? Vices, sin, right? Greed, selfishness, anger, lust. What are we saying there? May I collaborate with you in crashing those vices and sins against the rock so that I might join you in the eternal Jerusalem. You see how profound what we are doing is. John the 23rd said, we are no utopians of an earthly paradise, but realists of the cross. We are no utopians of an earthly paradise as though we can make this good on our own. We are realists of the cross. We live in a fallen world that is often dark and sad and needs, desperately needs, the hope that exists in all of you.